Riverside Hill City. Good morning. Give yourselves a hand for making it out this morning. So proud of you. Hey, can we love on and applaud our online campus? We love you guys so much. Ah, oh, I wish I could be in your living room. Well, I am in your living room right now, but, uh, but I am so grateful that you guys are online with us. We love you so much. And, and can we also clap for our Mansfield campus? Pastors Jonathan and Myrna doing such great work there. And uh, so we are in a series called What is Love? Turn to the person next to you and say, what is love? There it is. What is love? And we started last week, um, we dove into uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, uh, the premise of this series, and I'm just going to be straight honest with you, and I hope I don't offend you too bad, but we don't know what love is. We have been so overtaken by our culture that we have skewed understandings of love. And we need to get healed. I need to get delivered. You need to get delivered. We need a refreshing and a remaking of who we are when it comes to love. And so last week we dove into what is it? I, and guys, and let me tell you how bad off our brokenness is in love. When we start telling children that maybe they were confused and God made a mistake in how they were born, they were really not supposed to be that gender, they were, could be another gender, we have a confusion on what love is. When we empower injustice for sake of letting someone, you know, get their way, we have a confusion on what love is. It is time, first and foremost, for the church to learn how to love again and to learn, love the Jesus way. So we started with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we went last week through the, the entire 15 ingredients. It probably would have been good to call them ingredients. That the Apostle Paul was teaching the Corinthian church who was very confused on what love was. And they had so much mess in their church. They had so much gossip and slander. They were taking each other to court over stuff. They had perversion in their midst and nobody was dealing with it because they had a skewed understanding of what love was. And so Paul brought them into an understanding by giving them the ingredients of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It goes down through these whole... And if you didn't, if you weren't here with us last week or you weren't able to log in with us, go back and listen listening to that message so you can get on par with us to understand what is love. Now, we, we asked our pastors to kind of give us some resources, like what are some of your favorite teachings, video series, or books on love and being like Christ and strengthening of relationships, and so they did. And so we put a QR code together for you if you want to put that on the screen for them. You can scan that, and you can see some of the books that we uh, here at Hill City have been reading, that we've been learning. You say, I need to get better at loving my spouse, then I would tell you, scan that QR code and see some of the books or some of the video series. I, I, I like books, but I don't love books. And I'll tell you why. Because it frustrates me that I got to pay $20 for 300 pages when really there's only about 30 pages in there that really matter and the rest of it is fluff. And so give me a five-minute video and I'm good to go. And so if you're like that, then we also put some video series in here too that might that we validate as, as our leadership. I haven't seen them all that they put out there, so some of them may be uh, heretical, but I think we'll get over it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure they're all good. So these are kind of our pastors and leaders' top list of good teachings on love and uh, things that would help you. And again, as we jump in today, um, uh, today's teaching, we're going to literally take from one of the resources that's on that resource list. And uh, we're going to extract everything that uh, Dr. Les Parrott put in his book um, uh, <coughs> that's called Look, uh, Love Like That. You can see it on the screen. I would highly encourage all of you to go purchase this and learn the kind of love um, that Jesus walked in. And that's the premise of his book. 
phenomenal book. I'm just going to steal it all and teach it to you today. Because have you ever realized sometimes somebody's got a better revelation than you do on a subject? So just point to them and let them go. He was too expensive to bring in, so I'm just going to preach for him. I'm just kidding. I, we didn't even reach out to him. All right. So the, the premise of today's teaching is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Are you a dearly loved child of the Most High? Say yes. And so, and so the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He says, be imitators. Everybody say imitate. imitate. Imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. So Paul's saying, listen, imitate what Jesus did, and what he did was a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, and is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitate Jesus' love. If I could summarize the scripture like this, imitate Jesus' love. Imitate the way Jesus loved. In fact, when the Father sent Jesus, he sent him to the earth to be the pattern by which you and I can learn how to love like the Father. Um, Jamie and I years ago took some dance lessons. I don't know if anyone's ever taken dance lessons or, uh, or done anything like that. It was amazing that the first three weeks, all they made us do was read dance books. And then after reading dance books, then we went through, that, that didn't happen, by the way, all right? Anybody with any common sense? That's not what happened. We showed up at the dance studio, and this is what the guy did. He said, watch this, do that, all right? And he goes, now, do that. He said, do what you just saw me do. And I'm like, whoa, you're going to have to slow it down, bro. Well, what he did was he modeled what dancing was supposed to look like and then told me to imitate what he had done. This is what this passage of scripture is telling us. Jesus is the epitome of love. Imitate him. Look to him and imitate the way he loved. And his love is the pure love. Our love has all types of difficulties attached to it that aren't like Jesus. And you and I need to learn to imitate his love. So what Dr. Parrott has done is he's listed out what he believes is kind of like Jesus' top modeling points about love. So let's go ahead and jump in today. We're going to look at five uh, Jesus model points on love, how he literally modeled love. And the first one and the foremost one is uh, the love that uh, is mindful. Jesus' love was, number one, was mindful. Write that down. Now I want to do a little, a, a little, a little fun thing with you today. Um, I would say that a lot of us um, have a hard time focusing. And if you're as ADDDDHDDD as I am, then you understand what I'm talking about. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to play a little video. Uh, that psychologists use and see if you can pay attention to how many times a basketball is passed from one person to another. Are you ready for that? So everybody pay attention. You want to really pay attention to the screen. We're going to play it. You guys online, pay attention to the screen. And uh, all right, go ahead and play it for me. And it gives you a little bit of instruction. The there monkey goes. business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. All right, how many times did you get? Pause it for a second. How many times did you get? How many? 
Did you spot 15, the 16, all right, 16, good, good job. For all right. people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. How many saw the gorilla? Oh, so about if half you of you. Gorilla, you. All right, for those of you that didn't see the gorilla, we're going to reverse it and play it back. Let it play. Keep letting it play. Leaving the game. Let's rewind and watch it again. There. Sometimes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. And how many saw the curtain change colors? Uh, all right, one. All right, all right. Thank you. You can stop it there. So what I want you to be able to, what we wanted you to be able to understand is when you get to focusing on one thing, sometimes you miss the other things. Jesus' love was mindful. He, he, he modeled that. In fact, the, the definition of being mindful is to give others special attention to see what others don't see. To notice when someone's hurting when no one else notices it. That is the kind of Jesus love. He was mindful of what others were going through. In fact, a great example of this is in Luke chapter 7. If you'll turn there with me quickly in verse 12. And as you turn there, I would just say it like this. The Bible uses this term, and Jesus saw them. And Jesus saw them. It's used over 40 times in the gospel. To mean that Jesus was mindful. He saw what everyone else wasn't seeing. He saw through it. And let's go there in verse 12 of Luke chapter 7. It says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Pay attention to the details. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus is walking up. He's coming into a town. He's got all his little bros with him. He's got his little posse. They're coming up, the 12 disciples, along with, you know, whoever else was following them. As they walk up, there's a procession. They all have to stop. And there's a large group of people outside the town. And they're heading to the great graveyard. Okay? And so verse 13, when Jesus saw her. Everybody say, saw her. Come on, say it again. Say, saw her. Who did he see? The widow. The mother. That's right. His heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young woman, I say to you, excuse me, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Let me explain to you why this was so significant. Because in Jewish culture, and still in some countries in the Middle East, Women do not have the right to do business out on their own. They have to do it under the headship of a man. This woman's husband had died. Whatever business they had, whatever income source they had, the only way she was able to continue, even though she, she manages the business, even though she does all the work, she wasn't allowed to do business. She wasn't allowed to go at the city gate and, 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 and do any ju judicial pieces. She couldn't stand up for herself in the way that their culture was at that time. And so because the husband had died, the son now had become the representative of their family, their business, whatever it may be, even if he was a young man. And now he has died. Jesus doesn't just see the, see the pain of her losing, if you will, her son and her husband. He sees the pain that she's going to live in from this point forward, where she's going to have to leave her house and go live out in poverty, maybe even having to sell herself into prostitution. He saw the need. This is the kind of love that Jesus walked in. He saw what most of us don't see because he's mindful. His love was mindful, paying attention to the hurt and the need. In fact, we see it like this in verse 9, excuse me, verse 36 of Matthew 9. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were helpless or harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Everyone else around him saw the crowds as, oh, more work. Oh, what are we going to do? Here they come. Man, they want to sign autographs. They want to get pictures with Jesus. They want to post. Oh, my goodness. Jesus didn't see them like that. He was mindful of them, and he sees them like those who are helpless and harassed. You talk about a love. When you see that person at work who drives everybody insane, and you see all through that, and you see a man who's hurting. He's hurting because he went through a divorce a couple years ago. And now he lives a life of frustration with everyone around him. That kind of love is a mindful love. It's a Jesus love. And let me just be honest with you about the way Jesus loved. I'm not that great at it. And you're not that great at it. But what we want to do is become great and loving like Jesus. We want to be imitators of Jesus, not imitators of the, world, of the love that we grew up seeing propagated. See, every one of you have a way of looking at love, and every one of you have a way of expressing love. Much of it came from your childhood, how you saw your parents do that. Some of it came from experiences, good, bad, and ugly in your life. And so you withhold affection from a spouse because, because of what you went through in your first marriage. You withhold this kind of uh, mindfulness because you know what? You're going to have to get yours, and everybody that, uh, that is, everybody's out to get each other. It's dog-eat-dog you know, dog world. But that's not what Jesus' love looked like. And so it's time for you and I to begin to make some changes and live like his. What keeps you and me from being mindful, from having mindful love? You know what it comes down to? Agendas. Agendas. How many times in a day have we passed by a need because we had to get somewhere because we had an agenda? I think, it's, I think it, for me, that's, it's the most convicting piece. Is that, you know, what I plan out my life. I don't know about you, but I, I have my life planned out. I know what I'm doing on Tuesday. You know, I, live, I lived a planned out life. And I think that's some of the problem is the Holy Spirit will try to say right there, see that, notice that, love on that person, pay attention, that statement right there. It'll bug me, but I won't do anything about it because I, I, I don't have mindful love effective in that moment. I don't want to be better at loving like Jesus loved. Are you with me? Say yes. I believe that business is the enemy of mindfulness. Busyness, excuse me, is the enemy of mindfulness. And so one of the, one of the tactics of the enemy to keep us from loving one another well is to make us so busy. And so we don't see it. So we don't know that our son is really struggling in high school and maybe even running with the wrong crowd because we're so busy providing for our son that we're not mindful of our son. We get so busy trying to do for God that we're not mindful of God. And I know that's been one of the things that I've had to learn and I'm still learning to be mindful, to love like Jesus loved. He wasn't so busy that he didn't stop and go, wait a minute, I know we got a schedule, but this woman... She needs a miracle right now. Wait a minute, I know this crowd is all selfish and, and they're hoping that I'll feed them again with the loaves and the fish, but at the end of the day, they're helpless. Look at them. Can't you see that, guys? Look, they're helpless. They don't have any leadership in their life. They're just going through life mundane. And he set them down and he ministered to them. Here's the second love that Jesus modeled for us, and that is Jesus was approachable. Everybody say Amen. He was a, his love, he, was, he, he gave off such love that he was approachable. His love was approachable. And the definition of that is accessible, easy to understand, friendly. Friendly. Do people at work think you're approachable? Do your children think you're approachable? Do they share with you the deep things of their heart? You say, no, they do that with their grandmother. Or they do that with so-and-so, their boyfriend, but they never share those things. But then, then there's something missing there. 
there's a love uh, that's approachable that's missing there? Do, do people want to talk to you about what they're going through? And he said, no, they really don't. Then you're not giving off the kind of love that Christ gave off because Jesus was approachable. And we, and we see him model that in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. It says, then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place hands on them. So the parents are like, the Messiah is here, a prophet, whatever they believed he was. Then they're like, let's get our kids and get him to lay his hands on them. And now, that would have been, like, inappropriate. You know, what, you know what that's like, you know, when you're having a real official moment. I mean, if you had the president come by your house, you, you, you know, and have some kind of meeting with you, you'd, like, send the kids somewhere, right? Or if you were invited to the White House, you wouldn't bring your kids with you, you know, because, like, oh, they're going to be disruptive, you know. I'm going to have to pop them in the head because they're going to eat all the, the president's candy off his desk, you know, whatever it may be. Jesus says, listen, don't you dare. Pick up with me. He says, don't you dare. He rebuked the disciples. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He was approachable. Let me tell you how approachable Jesus was. Because he gave off such love that you knew that you were accepted even if you were wicked. His love was approachable. He didn't give a religious sense about him that you would be rejected if you dare even came to him. So the prostitutes would come and wash his feet with their tears. The tax collectors who, who were hated by everybody said, we're, we're willing to climb up in a tree just to look at him because he knew he was approachable. Those who propagated evil, even the religious who were wicked and manipulative would go and sit with Jesus because he was welcoming, he was approachable. Do you give off the kind of love of God that says, hey, come, hey, come be with me. I know, you, I know you're not good at that. I know you, it was, it, I'll never forget years ago, it, meeting with one of, one of the newer people in the church. And man, they were meeting with Jamie and I, and before you knew it, they were dropping F-bombs, and that effort and that effort and that effort and effort and effort and effort. And about 15, 20 minutes into it, they went, <gasps> I can't believe I'm cursing in front of the pastor. I was so excited. I was so excited because they were being their, their real self. And I didn't give off, like, finally, I'm loving like Jesus. I'm not giving off this, praise a uh, sister, brother. The wickedness that's coming from you, I cannot, my virgin ears cannot hear these words. It is quenching the anointing on my life. They were like, look, and then they went, they went and I just told them, I said, listen, it's okay. I said, you're just so, so much of a better person to use that kind of language, but man, listen, we all struggle with something. And they're like, oh, thank you, pastor, thank you, pastor. Jesus' love gave off such a desire for people to go and run to him. Are you approachable? Do people, do you give off a love that, that people are like, you know what? They will accept me even though I'm wicked, even though I'm broken, even though I stabbed them in the back. I know that they love me to that kind of level. You still there? Say yes. So what keeps us from being approachable? Pride. That's what it is. That's what it, it comes down to. It really comes down to pride. Over the years, I've taught my kids one simple technique. Smile at people. Tell them, just smile at people, even when they're cussing you, even when they're mad at you. Just smile at them. And the reason why that is is because years ago I found this survey, this study that they did, and they, and they, and they found out that, um, let me read it to you a little bit better, um, that people feel accepted by people who smile at them. So you can be as mad as all get them, and you start smiling at them. And you know what the beauty of a smile is? It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. You start smiling at people, you say, aw, they like me. 
and, and, and if you're approachable and you're giving off love with that smile, not a manipulative thing, and they feel that acceptance even though this is a negative moment or a frustrating situation. So how do you become more approachable? Let me give a couple thoughts on how you and I can be more approachable. Number one, don't size people up. Don't size them up. You know what it is for people to size you up, right? You walk into a room and they're... And, they, and, and, and you know, whatever you say, they are ready to pounce on it. Because they're sizing you up. I mean, in a multiracial church, you should understand this better than anybody else. That we should love and be approachable even with someone who's not like us. Even someone who didn't grow up the way we grew up. Even someone who may have a different political view. This is what love looks like. This is what Jesus' love looked like. He was approachable even to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were wicked and, and whitewashed tombs. They could approach him because he loved them. He loved them. Here's, here's the second thing you can do to be more approachable. And that is stop trying to determine, determine if they are deserving of your attention and affection. I don't know if I'm going to give it to you. That's not Jesus' love. It's not Jesus' love. When you and I, if we finally will just stop trying to determine if they are deserving. Everyone's deserving of Jesus' love. Because he said it be so. Whether you and I agree with it or not. He would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. Do you understand Jesus loves the victim, and he also loves the victimizer? That's the kind of love that you and I are probably still learning to step into. But this is the love that he had. He was, he was very beautiful in that. And here's the third thing that I would teach you to do to be more approachable, and that is relinquish the need for them to meet your standards. Until you come here, <laughs> I'm holding back affection. I'm holding back attention. We've done that with our children sometimes. And, and, and counseling teenagers for many years as a youth minister, they would tell me, my, I can never make him happy. She's never satisfied. If I, if I do three good things and one bad thing, I'm still on her bad list. We do this, guys. This is not love. And this is not Jesus' love. And literally, if you want to be more approachable, relinquish the need for them to meet you at your standards. At you. Until you get to this level, I cannot show you affection. I cannot really give you love. Jesus was approachable. His love was accepting. You still with me? Say yes. Here's the third thing that Dr. Perrick taught, and that is that Jesus' love was graceful. Everybody say amen. amen. Oh, you can say it better than that because he poured it out on you. His love was graceful. And the definition of, gra uh, of grace, as you know, and you probably heard it a lot, and I think it's the best, is unmerited favor. Unmerited. In other words, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Come on, we've been singing about it. Grace. Graceful. His love was graceful for those who could never pay for, their, for the grace that they, deserve, that they want. They, they don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. Unconditional acceptance goes against the deep grain of every human being. We're conditional by nature. We really are. We're conditional by nature. We love you conditionally. We want people to earn our respect. Uh, they need to win our acceptance. We don't offer up favor without merit. We have a built-in resistance to be graceful. It's in you. It's a built-in resistance to be graceful. I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to show grace until they tell me they're sorry. Until they do this, I'm not going to show love. I'm withholding my love because you can't take it from, you can't make me love you. And so I'm going to hold back on that. You talk about destructive in a marriage. 
destructive in a work environment. But to be graceful, Jesus' love was graceful. He poured out love even though they didn't deserve it. Mercy, it has been said, is getting spared from bad things you deserve. Grace is getting good things you don't deserve. I'll say it again. Mercy is being spared what you deserve. Grace is receiving good things that you don't deserve. Or Max Licata said it like this. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. Grace. You may be giving mercy but not giving grace. You know what? I'm not giving them what they deserve because if I gave them what they deserve, I'd run them over with this truck right now in traffic. That's what they deserve. Grace would be, hey, I know you're having a bad day. I bless you. I'm praying for you. Have a great day. That's giving them what they don't deserve. That's grace. Jesus' love was graceful, and we're all beneficiaries of his love of grace. Every one of us in this room, everyone watching right now, we are beneficiaries that Jesus' love was graceful, giving us what we don't deserve. Some of you have houses you don't deserve. Some of you have spouses you don't deserve. Some of you got some kids you don't deserve. Some of you got some kids you do deserve. Anyway, I'm just picking. I'm just saying. (laughs) Jesus modeled gracefulness. No time better than at his crucifixion. I want want you to look there with me real quick. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. It says, and when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. As they divided up his clothes by casting lots, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. So in this scenario, in this scene, Jesus is back and forth and looking down at them. And he's crucified on a cross. And they're sneering at him. And the religious leaders are like, ha ha, if you're really the Christ, pull yourself down off of that. These Roman soldiers are trying to get him to drink the, the, the wine and vinegar mix. They're gambling for his clothes. And in the midst of all that, he's between two thieves that did evil. He's done no evil. In the midst of that, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't even understand how deceived their mind is. They don't see it, Father. He's giving graceful love. In the midst of being humiliated, naked on a cross, beaten and crucified, and he's still pouring out love that's full of gracefulness. This is the kind of love that Jesus modeled. And this is the kind of love that the Apostle Paul told us to imitate. Imitate graceful love. See that step? See that? Do that. Ah, man. Ah, ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I mean, see that? Do that right there. Oh, man, I'm going to drop that one. I'm going to tell you that right now. Whoo, you want me to be graceful with my boss? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Imitators of what he modeled. (laughs) This love thing is so beautiful and so painful all at the same time. He modeled it with the woman with adultery that was caught in adultery. And they throw her at his feet. They try to catch him in a trick. They try to trap him. And he says, all right, I know the law requires that she be stoned. Okay. 
That is the teaching. That is the legal part of the law. So let me say it to you like this. I won't break the law. Those of you without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says that they all left. And he was left there with the woman. He says, where are those who accuse you? She says, sir, they have left. He goes, then I accuse you not either. And then he says, now go and sin no more. The grace, the love. He gave her a gift of life that she didn't deserve. The graceful love. Who are you not graceful with right now? Who do you struggle to show love to? Someone who's been a propagator of injustice? Graceful love. This is what our Jesus modeled. And so what keeps us from being graceful? Real, real simple. And that is judge, judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. It's amazing how we become the judge and the jury in reference to everything in our life. I'm the judge. And I deem you not worthy of life. I deem you not worthy of my respect or my love. That judgmentalism, it's, it's, it's in all of us, myself included. Uh, social scientists at Cornell University discovered this fact when testing people's competency levels. And this is what they came to the conclusion of, that incompetent people don't know they're incompetent. Right? And so that'll help you if you just realize stupid people don't know they're stupid. I just give you grace. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. I never forget when I had a revelation. I was, there was a gal in our youth ministry. She was 19 years old. She's a leader for us. And Jamie and I get a call, and, she's, and she says, can you come help me? And we said, what happened? I'm broke down on the side of the road. We get there, side of the road, cars are passing. Vroom, 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 vroom. And, uh, and, 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 and she's, hmm, she's not very capable of stuff. And, uh, and I said, I said um, so what's the problem? And I opened the hood, and she's blown the engine. Pretty obvious. And uh, I said, so let me ask you a question. When's the last time you put oil in this car? She goes, what's oil? Not so long thereafter, when she got a new car, I was behind her driving somewhere she didn't know I was there and she took a left turn from the right lane and almost killed me and I'm behind her and then it hit me this is someone I love dearly there are people out there who cannot drive there are people out there who something's missing right there just right there it's missing right there I thought everybody was like me I thought everybody was competent when they got behind the wheel and then I realized there are people who get in the car and they just, no, 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 no. They're like, they're in another world. And they don't even realize the rest of us have somewhere to go. And you're in our way. This is not a moment of enjoyment. This is a moment to conquer and get there. It set me free to realize there, people are different. And I started having grace on people. I bless you, you little dummy. Please get a license before the end of the year. Who let you drive that vehicle? Now, I'm being silly, of course, but it did help me to realize that, that not everybody is on the same level in competency with certain things. So I can have grace on them. None of us meet Jesus' level yet. And he was graceful with everyone. So it's so much easier when you realize, wait a minute, I'm going to stop being so judgment, judgmental about them and just give them grace. 
And wherever they're at right now in their walk with the Lord or wherever they're at in life, because he would that none should perish but all have eternal life. And maybe this is an opportunity for one of his sons, one of his daughters, to show them the love that they've never been shown, even though they don't deserve it, to give to them something wonderful that they don't necessarily deserve. This is grace. Are you with me? Say yes. Dr. Parrott said it like this. The reason why many times we don't have grace with others is because we need other people's faults in order to dodge our own faults. Another great thinker said it like this, to love a person means to see them as God intended them to be. To see them like God intended them to be, not the way they're acting right now. To see them beyond how they're acting and how, what they're doing and see that God intended you to be something else. It's probably the greatest parenting tool that Jamie and I ever, ever, and I ever learned. Was I, I didn't correct my children on what they were doing. I was correcting my children on how they were failing to be who God made them to be. Like, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. God made you to be someone great. And I would say it like this, that grace is a choice and we can all make it. To show graceful love is a choice and we can all make it. Claire Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, was talking with a friend one day when the name of the person they both knew came up. Years before, that person had treated Claire with terrible unkindness. And so the friend in that conversation said, hey, do you remember when she did that to you? Claire said it like this, no. I distinctly remember forgetting that. I don't remember when she did that to me because I distinctly remember forgetting that on purpose. I made a decision to show the grace and the love. Are you still there? Say yes. That brings me to number four. We got time left, so you're good. Hold on. And the fourth love that Jesus modeled was a love of boldness. He was bold in his love. And the definition of bold is to be confident and courageous. Confident and courageous. And Jesus models this boldness in one of the most beautiful types, one of the most beautiful moments that we could ever understand. We find it in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus arrives at the temple, it says, and we'll keep reading. It says, he entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he yells out, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it dens of robbers or thieves, I think King James says. I want you to understand the scenario. Jesus shows up at church. He's showing up at one of the big gatherings once a year. People come in from all over the country to worship God, to find their God, to engage with their God. And they're going to make sacrifices according to, the, according to the traditions that they had to make, you know, depending on how much sin they felt like they had committed or how much money they actually had. And they, would, they, would have, they couldn't travel from hundreds of miles away carrying the little lamb. They could, they, it was just too much work. So when they got there, they would purchase. And, and people that lived all around the temple, they would have these sellers of, of little sheep and doves and things like that. And what they would do is they would sell it to them, and then they would go to make the sacrifice. And the people selling in the temple were in cahoots with the leadership of the temple, and they would say, oh, that one's too spotted. We can't, you can't make that sacrifice. It's blemished. So they would go back to the person they bought it from. They would say, I'm sorry. You lost that one. You want to buy another one? This one doesn't look as blemished. You should have checked it out. Or they would come from different parts of the world to come to Jerusalem to give their worship and their sacrifices, and they needed to give their alms, their money, their tithe, 
but they wouldn't accept the tithe, but in, in Jewish currency. But they live over here somewhere else, and they have this currency. So they would come, and they would need to exchange their money to be able to give in the temple the kind of money that the temple would receive. And these guys exchanging the money would up the percentage rate so high that it was almost impossible. Jesus walks into that scenario and says, no, sir. No, it will not happen like this. And he begins to overthrow all the tables. He just starts throwing them, and he just starts, Pah! he takes a whip, and he runs all of them out. And the whole point that you got to understand was this is all from a place of love. He was loving those who were being mistreated, but he was also loving those who were doing the mistreating. Because you know what? You will be judged for this. And I love you enough to look you in the eyeball and overthrow your table and say, not so. This is wrong. I love you so much. He didn't beat them. He didn't reject them. He loved them enough to say, that's wrong. That's not right. And guys, we have to walk in that kind of love. We have to walk in that kind of love to say, hey, I am so sorry, but that's not right. That's not right. You got a boss that's asking you to do something that's not right, and, and, and the whole sales force is going along with it. You got to have enough love to say, hey, that's not right. Boss, can I meet with you? Let me tell you what that's going to lead to if we do that. We may get away with it here, but it's going to come back on us. It's not right. Let's don't do that. you got to have the boldness to pull your spouse aside and say, hey, that's not right. We can't live like that. To pull your small group aside and say, hey, listen, I feel like when we did that to that person, that wasn't right. And walk that thing through together. Are you with me? Say yes. Jesus had that kind of boldness, and it was a love boldness. In fact, he says in Matthew 18, when your brother sins against you, love him enough to go to him. Show the bold love to go to them and say, hey, that hurt my heart. That makes me not want to talk to you. My natural, my natural response is to reject you and to put you over here in a category like everyone else who's, who's, a, who's a hypocrite. And I know that you didn't mean that. I'm trying to be graceful with you and give you grace that, you know, you just made a mistake. But I want to be also bold in my love to present that to you. And when we're bold in love, we're putting ourselves out there to be rejected, to be misunderstood, to maybe even... Realize that we were critical when really we shouldn't have been. And that's why people won't do it. But the love that Jesus had was a real bold love. He walked in boldness. What keeps us from loving with boldness? The answer is this. The fear of being rejected. The fear of being rejected. When we separate love from truth telling, we are trading genuineness for approval. And boldness for cowardice. But when we risk rejection and get real, we begin to love like Jesus. This is the love he walked in. And if we're going to love like that, we must be bold enough to risk hurting our pride, jeopardizing our comfort, and facing rejection to show people truth and love. And to, again, that love, that bold love only works when there's grace love working with it. Where I don't have to be right. I'm not trying to, I'm not being judgmental of you. I'm just telling you the effects that this is having. And I'm being truthful in that. And it leads us to the last one, and that is self-giving. The love that Jesus portrayed, portrayed and the love that he modeled was a love that was self-giving. Everybody say self-giving. And the definition of that is, oh, well, we say it like this, selfishness in reverse. Right? Self-giving is selfishness in reverse. It is not concerned with benefits, and it expects nothing in return. In a recent survey, 17% of people that they were selfish. But 60% think that most everyone else is selfish. 
So really only 17% of them are like, yeah, I'm selfish. But 60% of them say, nah, nah, I'm going to tell you who's selfish. My wife is selfish. My kids are selfish. We all think, for the largest part, that everybody else is selfish. And we're not quite aware of how selfish we are. And I would just say, we live in a culture, in a time. That's why they call them the greatest generation, the World War I, World War II, because they laid down their lives. And now we live in a generation that teaches us to be selfish. It's all about us. What's in it for me? How do I get ahead? I hurt my feelings. All this kind of, this, this selfish, everything we view is through, through the mirror of how it affects us. And, and literally, Jesus, I thank God that Jesus' love was self-giving. And what, what benefited him is what benefited you, and he was willing to love and sacrifice to benefit you. You want to keep a marriage together? Learn selfless love. You want to you keep a family together? Learn to lay down your rights and what you think you need and what you got to have and just start serving. And as you do that, I promise you supernatural things will happen. Selfish people, by definition, are those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness. Yet at least as judged by others, this, these selfish people are far less happy, according to stats, than those whose efforts are devoid, devoted to making others happy. Here at Hill City, one of the reasons that we do a grow track is not just to connect you in and help you find your place, but we also want you to help. We also want you to understand your giftings so that you can use your giftings to serve others. Because once you realize, wait, I have a gift uh, uh, that, that's welcoming people. I, I help people feel comfortable. And when we put you at that front door on a Sunday and you're welcoming people, you're using your gift, you're getting here early, you're making a sacrifice. But what happens is as you show your love through being selfless, as you show your love for others, it actually begins to do something in you that makes you complete. Because you were made to do it. And so when you don't use your gifts to help others, then what happens is you become like the Dead Sea, always taking in but never giving out and it dies within. That's why the church should be a place where every member is using their gifts to love and to serve others. But unfortunately, over the last couple hundred years, what we've created the church to be is a group of people who come and they are ministered to by the ministers. And if it's really good, then we will tip the ministers 10%. But if it's not that good, we're going to withhold our 10%. Because we didn't like the service that we got. That is broken. That is anti-scriptural. We are the body of Christ. We are Jesus' sons and daughters, and we are all ministers of his love to other people. And so my job, and I told you this before, and I'll keep telling you, Ephesians says, my job as a pastor is to equip you so you can minister to people. Do the work of the ministry. And not, not so I, I you, yeah, we, you're not tithing, so I will minister well to you. You're tithing because he asked you to tithe to his body of believers so that the body of believers can touch the broken world. Not so that I can drive big fancy cars. And I have, Jamie and I have determined that we were not going to live on your tithe base. So we have five streams of income. So, that you, so, so my whole life is not just about whether or not you tithe well or not. So I don't have to look at you and go, you ain't been tithing. I can't pay my house enough, so you need to tighten up, bro. That's why you never hear messages like that. You, when we teach you on tithing, we teach you from the, from the right spot of being a giver to your God and to his family, to his body of believers. That's, that's the right spot. Not because I need your money. 
you got to understand this. You are called to love others. And when you express that love through serving others, completeness starts happening inside of you. You go, wow, I'm using my gift to do something. I'm helping kids over in that kids' ministry. Man, I'm, I'm working with those junior high kids, man, and they can be a man, they can be a pill, but I'm fulfilled because I was called to show love that way. And when I hand a cup of coffee or when I lead a small group, even though I don't necessarily comfortable that I know much about the Bible, but when I just avail myself to be available for other people and just, and, and just love on them, when I do that, it's like fulfillment. Why? Because you and I were made to serve because Jesus did. And he modeled this so beautifully. When we see him washing the disciples' feet there at the end in John chapter 13. He's about to be killed. He's at hours of human life on this planet. Big banquet moment. Special dinner. Date night, whatever you want to call it. And he takes the towel. And he begins to wash their feet. The dirt and the grime. He gets to Peter. Peter says, no sir, no sir. I can't do this. I can't let you do this. You're my leader. How can I let you? He says, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part with me. Peter being forever the, the grandiose, you know, mic drop statement guy goes, then wash my head all the way down to my whole body. Just get it all over me then. Because Jesus was saying, I have to model at the end of my life. You have to see my love so you know what to imitate. The early church pastors, the early church leaders, they didn't fly around in big jets with bodyguards that no one could touch them. And then do all that. They were the chief servants. You want to be a minister? Then be a chief servant. Model what you, excuse me, imitate what you saw modeled. Jesus loving through servanthood. So what keeps us from being self-giving? I'll tell you what it comes down to. And that is a disconnection from compassion. And the reason why we lose compassion throughout our years of growth and development as humans is because we go through hardship and hurts and pains and, and other broken people who don't know how to love and a world full of hate. And so then we put these walls up to protect us and protect our hearts. We go through a divorce. We go through kids that, you know, stick their middle finger up once they get out of high school and say, I don't have anything to do with your church stuff. And we go through that. And so what happens is we don't realize that we put a wall up that no one's going to hurt me again. And what that does is that wall keeps us from being compassionate to others. When we lose empathy, the difference between sympathy and empathy, sympathy is I feel bad for you, empathy is I'm going to do something to help you with it. And the beauty of the God that we serve was he didn't stand from heaven and go, I hope you all figure it out, I've given you my word, I've sent prophets to you. He said, no, 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 I'm going to go down in the middle of you. I'm going to love you with self-sacrifice. When we look at these five models of love that Jesus had, I don't know about you, but it can be a little overwhelming to me. Like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> so far to go. But can I just tell you this? The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in me. The Holy Spirit will help us as truth comes to us. And we realize, I am not approachable. So, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. You know what? I'm not, I'm not very self, I'm very self-focused. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not really mindful of others. I've got, my, I've got my, my, my career and I've got my things that I'm trying to get done. And I, I miss people that are hurting all around me. Gee, Holy Spirit, will you help me? The moment we begin to pray prayers like that, that love begins to take over and that, 
and that piece of us that was so full of selfish ambition, that piece of us that was so full of hatred and resentment begins to melt away. You and I can trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to guide us, to empower us, to love the way Jesus loved, because you and I cannot do it in our natural self. I'm going to tell you right now, when I see injustice, when I see what happened in Memphis, I, 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 whoo, 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 whoo. When I hear about the different things that are going on in different places of the world, I, there's this thing that rises up in me, this hate thing that's from my flesh, and just want to get even. And you know, I've told you my story. As a young man coming up, I was a get even guy. You're going to pay for whatever you did to me and my family. And the love of God has so healed me, and I recognize the grace that he's had on me, and now I want to give that same grace out, only because the Holy Spirit has given me the love that Jesus walked in. And I'm learning to do what he did. I don't keep trying to model it, like, and I go back to him all the time, like, Jesus, oh, you're going to have to do that move again, because I don't really have that. And I, like, I don't know. Okay, oh, I blew it on that last week with that lady over there. So let me see it again. Okay, okay, I can do it better. Let me try again. All right, oh, there it is. Did I get it? Did I get it? Oh, come on, I'm getting it. Let's go. Imitate the love of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? I hope this has helped you a little bit. I don't want you overwhelmed. I don't want you to think, oh, my God, I'm terrible. Yeah, we're all terrible, but we're saved by grace. He calls us sons and daughters, and he calls us saints. Amen? Come on, somebody. And so all we're doing today is helping you realize there is some beautiful Jesus love that we need to start learning to imitate. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head. I want you to lift, lift, lift your heart up to the Lord right where you're at. And I want you to just say to him right now, Lord, I need your help to love like that. I just want you to ask him, say, Lord, I need your help to love like that. I, there were five different pieces here that just so challenged me. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Parrott's revelation from these passages of Scripture. And I'm so grateful to, to kind of even be able to organize it in a way that, that I can think. Like, you know what, I... Am I really approachable? And, and, and begin to say, Lord, Lord, I want to walk in the kind of love that people come to me and say, I feel like I can trust you and I can't trust anyone else. I feel like you will accept me when I feel like other preachers or other Christians look at me with, with disdain in their eyes. That we're welcoming, that we're mindful, that we see the need. I, I want to love like Jesus did where, I, where, I'm, bold, where, I say, where I'm bold enough to love the victim and the victimizer. And to bring truth into that situation. Hey, this ain't right. This ain't right. This ain't right. See the difference in that love? See, we live in a community that says, you if you love them, you'll let them do whatever they want to do. No, no, no. No, no, just the opposite. Jesus went in there and said, no, no, that's not, I, I got to love you and this ain't right. You can't do this to the house of God. You can't, you can't cheat people like this. We've got to be bold enough to say, I love you. But no, no, God made you perfect when he made you. You don't have to change your gender. You're perfect. No, no, no. That sexual decision is a wrong way of life. That's not how God made you. That's not God's plan. And love them enough to say, you know, you may reject me. And you may hate me for telling you the truth. But at the end of the day, I love you so much, I'll tell you the truth and I'll stand with the truth. To love people so much that, we, that we're, that we're self-giving, helping, even, even to the place where, like, man, I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to go serve there with you. I'm going to go show up at that par birthday party when really I don't want to, but I know that it's, it's a way that I can show you how much God loves you and how much I love you. Father, I thank you. Right now, you're just giving revelation. Right now, I want the Lord to speak to you specific incidences. He's trying to show you the dance move again. He's trying to show you the step again. 
It's okay, we stumble. We stumble into his grace and mercy and we keep on the path with him and he won't reject you and me. It's a beautiful journey of learning to love like Jesus, to be imitators of God and the love of Christ that he poured out on the earth. Father, I just ask you right now as a church, for me, as a Christian leader, that Lord God, that you would help me. Holy Spirit, help me to love like Jesus. Help me to love like this. Help me to have a bold love. Help me to have an approachable love. I, I want to be like you, Jesus, in that. I, I want to learn these dance moves a little better. I want to learn these steps a little bit better. Jesus, forgive me where I have misappropriated you. Forgive me, oh God. Heal the hearts of those that maybe have, have not felt my love or your love through me the way it needed to be. Cover that, Jesus. Cover our mistakes in that. Now, if you put your head, keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment, I want to give a call to anyone who might say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I'm away from God. I don't feel like if I died today, I'd go to heaven. i got such good news for you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He's approachable. His love says, come. Come like you are. In fact, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus into your life, to repent of your sins. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance, of confessing him as Lord. If you say, Pastor, that's what I want. That's, I'm ready. I'm ready for a life change. I'm ready to let Jesus lead. I'm ready to repent of my sins. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to zoom the cameras on you. This is a deep, private, eternal decision. But here and now is your moment. Don't push him away. If you need Jesus, if you need to repent of your sins and ask him to come into your life and lead your life with no one looking around, if that's you, would you slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying for? Amen. Thank you. God bless you for your honesty. May you never be the same. We're going to do business with God today. We're going to repent of our sins. Anyone else? Give you a few more seconds. Throw your hand up so I know who, who I'm praying with. Amen. Amen. Okay. Two more seconds. Anybody else? Pastor, it's me. Include me in that prayer. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I mean, put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in this prayer of repentance. And I want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. I want you to say this prayer with me out loud. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of you. But those of you who lifted your hand, I need you to be real and authentic with this prayer. You ready? Let's say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit that I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I ask you to forgive me to cleanse me, to make me new. Jesus, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I'm yours forever. Say it again, I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray right now that peace would overtake these precious sons and daughters of God. That Lord God, all the turmoil of the mind, all the turmoil of what sin has brought in their, their life would just dissipate as they come under grace, grace. Lord, I thank you for grace. And Lord, I ask you, Lord God, that there would be a joy that starts bubbling up because they realize, wait a minute, not only has he had mercy on me, he's forgiven me, but he's also had grace on me and he's gonna bless me. And so Lord, I thank you for your goodness. And I pray, Lord God, that that would be so relevant and understanding by everyone who called on your name today. And Lord, I ask you for strength, as they go forward, I ask you to give them good Christian friends, good godly people. If they don't have a church, that you would put them either in our church or get them in a good church that will stand with them and help them grow. And Lord, I bless these, your people. And I'm grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. And I bless your name. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud how good God has been? He's so good.